0: I didn't really tell a lot of people who, uh, in television, that I was a cowgirl because it just, I didn't feel like it fit.
1: Hey, friends and fellow fancy lady cowgirls, did you see who my guest is today? The hilarious and incredible Courtney Dehoff is on The Ranch Collective. When I originally reached out to her in February to help with my cold weather resource episode, I didn't know who she was just a cowgirl with a large following that was knowledgeable and had shareable material. Since then, I've been following her, and boy, am I so glad that I did. I am so excited to share my platform with Courtney, and we are back with a two-parter. This first part, we get into background, rodeo, and talk about what it's like to be the owner of a bucking bull, and this is probably one of the episodes I've been the most excited to share because I love Courtney, and I love what she's doing with her platform, especially on Instagram. She's really showing everyone that you can be fancy and that Western and Cowgirl don't come as a one-size-fits-all title. Next week, we'll talk about Fancy Lady Cowgirl and Cowgirl problems, but this week, we're focusing on getting to know the woman, the myth, the legend, Courtney Diehoff.
2: Hey, this is Sophia Solzner, owner of the Western Chap Specialist and founder of the Punchy Posse. As a former guest of the Range Collective podcast, I can genuinely say I hope you are loving this episode and become a regular listener if you're not already. Harley graciously provided me this opportunity to talk to you real quick, so I wanted to tell you who I am and what I do to see if I can help you. I work exclusively with Western and rural women who own a business, whether online or in their hometown. I spent four years developing social media strategies through hands-on experience with clients all across the country. I took these proven strategies and seeing a need in the Western industry, decided to serve my babes, my Western and rural women, and support them on their journey to being a successful business owner. At the Western Trav Specialist, I offer one-on-one coaching and strategy sessions, Shopify website design, social media management, and a slew of trainings. My most popular program right now is called the Punchy Paycheck. The Punchy Paycheck is a monthly membership that includes a live training each month on a topic chosen to help you grow and maintain your business, a live Q&A session, and a private group chat exclusive to Punchy Paycheck members. All this is valued at over $300, but to allow as many Haas babes as possible to participate, it is only $29 a month. This program is a perfect first step to growing your business or an amazing accountability tool to keep you pushing yourself past the level you've already reached. If you'd like to sign up, you can head to the westernchopspecialist.com. You can also find out so much more about me and my business on my website and a direct link to join the Punchy Posse, which is a group exclusively for Western and rural women business owners. I would also love to connect with you on any of my socials. You can find me on Instagram at Sophia Solzner or at The Punchy Posse and also on Facebook, just The Western Chop Specialist. I look forward to chatting with you and I really hope you enjoy the rest of this episode with Harley and her guests.
0: My name is Courtney DeHoff and I like to tell people that I am a cowgirl turned television host because that's just really the best way to describe me. Uh, I grew up in northeastern Kansas. On a small cow calf operation, my grandparents run a large cow calf operation, and I was just a cowgirl through and through. Uh, I high school rodeoed. I went on to college rodeo to pro rodeo. So you know, for the first twenty five at least years of my life, it was all things cowgirl all the time. And during my freshman year of college at Oklahoma State, I actually interned at a television station for the for the sole reason. That I had to have an internship to graduate. And I really needed plenty of time to rodeo. So I decided I would get my internship out of the way freshman year and just be done with it. So I could go to pro rodeos on the weekends and not have to go to an internship. And I actually fell in love with television and more importantly, storytelling. I love storytelling, you know, human interest pieces. I just really. I just really love humans, and I just really love sharing and listening to their stories. So I became a TV host, and uh, that is what I have done for over a decade. Gosh, that makes me sound old, but for over a decade, I've been a television host in major markets across the country. And uh, sort of was a cowgirl on the DL. I didn't really tell a lot of people who uh, in television that I was a cowgirl because it just, I didn't feel like it fit. I didn't feel like it fit in that Hollywood esque uh, entertainment industry that I was working in. So I hid that part of me for a very long time. Um, and it wasn't until about four years ago that I finally started to really lean back in and embrace that cowgirl side of me who, uh, you know, the cowgirl side of me is very much who I am. Um, And so I combined the two, and Fancy Lady Cowgirl was born. So that's, uh, in a nutshell,
1: that is who I am, Uh, just a cowgirl turned a TV host. I love it. That's so something that I hear a lot, and particularly it seems from my female guests who go off and they, either in college or right after their job, right after college, they kind of, like, ditch ag or ditch rodeo or ditch, you know, cowgirl stuff and they're like I'm gonna make it in the big city and I'm gonna say screw all of that stuff and I don't care like I don't care about that stuff or they close themselves off to it but they always end up back that's what happened to me he ended up back in it
0: (laughs) yeah no 100 percent. that is what happened
1: uh to (laughs) me I don't I wouldn't say I um
0: I wasn't trying to get rid of it per se, that ag background, that small town America, you know, story that was very much a part of who I was, but I had really big dreams. I didn't want to just be a TV host in, you know, a local midsize market. I wanted to be a TV host in New York. I wanted to be a TV host in L.A., Chicago, Dallas, you know, the top four, the biggest markets in the country. And. So I started working with people like agents and managers, you know, sort of these people that you have in your TV career who help you get jobs, essentially. That's, you know, what an agent's job is, is to get you work. And first of all, I couldn't find an agent. Nobody wanted to represent me because I didn't have a brand. They're like, oh, you're really talented. You're really good at what you do. But we can't sell talent. We can only sell brands. Well, that's really frustrating (laughs) after you spent, you know, years, uh, earning your stripes i guess in the tv industry but um another thing that they told me was nobody really understood and or cared the cowgirl the little cowgirl stories that i was telling and so i sort of being young and naive i let these outside influences these these you know big shots these well-known agents in new york and and LA. Uh, convinced me that if I was ever going to make it in those cities, if they were ever going to be able to get me jobs and sell me as a brand, um, I was going to have to sort of get rid of that part of me. But I think you said it best, we always come back. And for me, man, it's like, I don't know what the saying is. Like I think you can take the girl out of the country. Well, it's the same with the cowgirl. Like You can take the girl out of the cowgirl. It's not going to like have quite yeah. the same ring to it. But like, you couldn't take the cowgirl out of me. And, um, you know, every now and then that would come out. <laughs> the cowgirl would come out uh, in, you know, at work at at TV on TV, even occasionally. And um, I sort of just got to the point where I was like, man, I'm tired. I am just really, really tired of living a half full life in order to satisfy other people's opinions. And so you know, it took 30 years. That's what I tell people. It took 30 years for me to fully embrace who I am at my core. And that's both the fancy TV host who loves storytelling and who loves living in big cities and who loves, you know, hobnobbing with, um, you know, the, the socialites and all the things that you get in the big fancy cities. I'm also just a cowgirl, you know, a little, a little Kansas cowgirl. And that, that part could never be taken out of me as hard as I tried as hard as they try. So, you know, I finally decided to just lean into both and see what
1: would happen. And what happened was uh, amazing. And you live in, you know, arguably, arguably the best city to be doing that. You're in Dallas
0: yeah, no, i'm I'm super lucky. People ask me all the time, like because I'm an independent contractor now, so really, I could work, you know, I could live and work in any city um, in America because pre- pretty much I live on a plane. But Dallas is a great city. It's a huge market. Um, it's growing rapidly. We're the you know, it's the fourth largest television market. So I do have an agent here, so I do do some TV work here. but Uh, yeah, you have the big city. Dallas is a city. Don't, don't let anyone convince you that it's not. I remember when I first moved here, my family was so excited because they thought, oh my gosh, she's moving to Dallas. She'll probably meet a nice, rich cowboy. (laughs) Well, first of all, there are no cowboys in Dallas. I mean, there are, but it's not what you envision necessarily when you envision Texas. But the beautiful thing about Dallas is it is still Texas. You know, there are still people wearing cowboy boots. Um, in Dallas, but you're just, you know, a short drive from the rural areas and some really great ranches and Fort Worth. Fort Worth is very cowboy. Uh, so yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, beautiful, uh, a beautiful city to sort of embrace both.
1: Yeah, I lived up on the um, Oklahoma border with Texas, so about an hour, hour and a half north of Dallas for about a year and a half. And I worked in Frisco um, for that year and a half at a cheerleading gym. And I was just always like, oh, it's like, it was so cool. And my fiance was managing a cattle ranch. So I was like, oh, I really get kind of the best of both worlds. Like I get to go down, I work in the city, I get to see my city friends do city stuff. And then I get to go home and I live in this beautiful, incredible ranch
0: Mm, I love that. I'm still looking for the ranch portion of that. So if there are any eligible bachelors listening, I mean, I can even bring the ranch, but like, I just, you know, gotta, gotta make that connection. But no, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, it's just, even when I get to go home, it's just so nice to be able to just like be out, um, and hear birds chirping and things you forget sometimes when you live in the city, how, uh, overstimulated <laughs> you actually are yes. until you get out to like rural America and you're like, wow, I can breathe.
1: this is amazing. Yeah. So speaking of going back home, tell me a little bit about your life growing up in Kansas.
0: Yeah. So I um, I like to tell people I grew up in, a, in an agriculture family. I'm a fourth generation rancher. Um, you know, like I said, my parents ranch, my grandparents ranch, my great grandparents ranched um but we sort of had the best of both worlds because we were heavily involved in the livestock side of things we showed angus heifers uh all over the country you know big um big members of the national junior angus association and the american angus association so we had our angus family that we sort of traveled all over the country with but then we also rodeoed heavily so you know my sister and i were both members of the kansas high school rodeo team qualified for the national high school finals so we really every single weekend of our lives was either a cattle show or a rodeo and you know when you're in when you're a teenager like uh, there would be times where i'd be at a rodeo i i would never have chosen not to go to the rodeo but you know you missed out on a lot of like just high school things i never went to a prom um i never got to do any of, of those sort of things because we were always on the road but now that i'm an adult I look back and I'm just so thankful for the way that we were brought up because, um, you know, we were surrounded by horses and cattle and just really great people. We were surrounded by ag people, um, you know, our entire lives. And so we were just we were just really blessed to have a really cool upbringing. And and uh, my parents worked really, really hard to, you know, make sure we always had really good cattle and always had really good horses under us. And so I'm super thankful to them, um, you know, again, now that I'm older and I realized the sacrifice that they were making to make sure, you know, that we were up and down the road and, you know, there would be weekends that my mom and I'd be at a rodeo, my dad and sister would be at a cattle show. We'd take the, the and all the horses to the cattle show on the way home, stop in, you know, maybe show a heifer, watch the, it's. It, it, We were just going all the time. Um, But uh, yeah, it was just, you know, I was really thankful um, to be brought up sort of in that Western uh, culture.
1: I love that. Um, That just, I was wondering. So, since you guys traveled around a bunch for um, rodeo and showing and stuff, you also travel a whole bunch for, I'm assuming, I'm assuming for work, but I saw, I think, somewhere online, or maybe I heard it in a different interview, you've traveled to like. 18 countries? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that, like, all that traveling you did when you were younger kind of made you, like, have the travel bug?
0: Yeah, you know, um, I, like I said, we were blessed. You know, we went all over the United States showing cattle and rodeoing. And so that was really cool. And I look at those experiences and I just think um, we were so blessed because we got to see the world. You know, we got to really experience um, different cities and different rural areas all over the country, and we got to come to things like the national high school finals or the National Junior Angus Association, uh, you know, National Junior Angus Show, and we would be for weeks at a time with people who lived in very different parts of the country. And you know how it is: people from different parts of the country act different; they have different um, thought processes, different beliefs; they have different ways of doing you know, things from rodeo and showing to different types of agriculture, we were just always surrounded by uh, really cool people who were just different than us. And I think that that really set the platform for me really being interested in the storytelling side of things and telling people stories and then eventually traveling. I didn't travel internationally uh, until I was in my mid 20s. I actually graduated college I got my first TV job. I lasted there one year and then I quit (laughs) and uh, didn't really know, you know, what was next. I didn't have another TV job lined up. Um, And so I booked a one way ticket to the Czech Republic. I rented an apartment and I moved to the Czech Republic because I don't know why not. And, uh, I had just always wanted to travel. And so I had a little bit of time. I had saved up a bunch of money because I was working, you know, at this TV station and had no social life, no life. All I did was work. So I had plenty of, you know, I had enough money, I guess that I could go to Europe for a while. And, um, I had never been out of the country and I went by myself and I just rented an apartment and looking back, I'm like, wow, that was, Kind of ballsy, but whatever. Uh, it worked out, and I got to see some really, really amazing things and meet some really cool people. And then um, I think it was just experiencing again new people, new places, new cultures, and new stories that I fell in love with. And so after that initial trip, then I, um, you know, I tried to go take a big international trip every year from that point on, and uh, been to I don't know three, four continent, three continents maybe. Um, Been all over Europe, done a little bit of South America, uh, been to some, been to Canada, been to, you know, some random islands. There's, there's still plenty of things on my bucket list. And it's funny. I'm actually, um, don't judge, it's 718 Central and I'm in bed and I'm sitting in my bed and I have a big world map that like is on the wall directly across. So every night when I'm like laying in bed, I just like stare at the map and I'm like, dang, I've got so much to do.
1: It's so okay. little time. <laughs> so that's funny. Um, I'm also laying in my bed, <laughs> um, beautiful, <laughs> and it's also seven eighteen here. I'm just a few hours south of you, and okay, we actually we had a map on our bedroom wall for the longest time, and when we moved into our apartment, um, we moved it out to the living room. It's currently down because we have work being done, but we put it up in the bedroom so that we could look at it and be like, mm, where should I love we it. go? I love it.
0: And it's like, I don't know if you're like me, like some days I'll just be, I don't know, like just like stressed or procrastinating or whatever. And I'll just walk in and I'll just like stand in front of my map. And I'm like, if anybody saw me doing that, like if anyone looked in my window and just saw me like nose to map, they would be like, wow, that is such a strange woman that lives in that. Um, But I just love to like, I have the little pins that I stick in it for all the places I've been. And I love to just like look at it and, think about all the places that maybe someday we'll be
1: allowed to go to again yes um I've never been out of the country and in November 2019 I booked a cruise for my fiance's birthday so that was my birthday gift to him in that November and it was supposed to depart in May 2020 Uh, needless to say I have still not been out of the country oh no well give it
0: time things are opening back up you will just have to you know, that's one thing about, um, you know, last year that I think, uh, I just sort of not necessarily traveling. Cause like, you know, traveling internationally is very expensive. It's not, it's not a like, Oh yeah, let's just jet over to Europe for the weekend type of thing. And I, you know, that's not lost on me, but I was like, man, okay. After surviving the pandemic, I'm like, I'm going to say yes to things, you know, maybe they're just here in Dallas, but I'm going to say yes to them. I'm going to go do things. I'm going to, you know, travel. Maybe it's just across the street, but by gosh, I'm going to go. And so I will, you, you will take your cruise. I will speak that into existence for you.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I, you know what I miss? I was just thinking about like going out and doing something in Dallas. I miss Blue Goose. Have you, you been to Blue Goose? No.
0: Tell me more. Okay. What's
1: Blue Goose? It is a Mexican food restaurant and they've got, they're all over the DFW area. I know there's one in Frisco. There's one in McKinney. There's one in Dallas. Um, I think there's one in Plano. I'm Googling
0: this as you speak.
1: Um, oh, my gosh. Their food is so good. That's probably the thing I miss most about living up there. There is one, like, around the corner from where I work. So when we would get off at, like, 930 or 10 o'clock at night, we would go over there and have a drink.
0: It was a oh, my thing. gosh. Blue Goose Inn. Um, there's one in Lower Greenville. How have I never heard of this? Oh, this is awesome. I'm going to make my friends go here
1: with me. Do it. I, I love their food. I miss it.
0: Mm, that looks good. I love. I love I love discovering new things. People always ask like what is there to do in Dallas? I'm like, well, all we really do is eat and that's caught up with me. But I'm like, yeah, all we do is like eat and drink and
1: yeah. <laughs> um, well, if you're into coffee, there's also a coffee place in McKinney that I used to work for that um does like Kona blends like from Hawaii and there. oh awesome.
0: nice that sounds good I've actually I've actually been to Kona I've, I actually know where that is and I've heard of it so maybe I'll have to Excellent. I'll have to give that a try cool
1: I, thank you I will yeah I will send it to you I yes that was the worst part about the pandemic was no longer being able to work there anymore
0: oh I know what a bummer
1: yeah um okay tell me about being um a rodeo athlete I don't know a ton about rodeo aside from having attended a fair few um I'm from northern California and northern Nevada so my biggest rodeo experience was at the Reno Rodeo don't know if you've ever been to that one um other than that I don't really know anything so tell me about it what was your event what was that yeah
0: yeah so um I like I said, I started out, it all started, my grandpa, my pappy bought me a pony when I was a little girl. And we discovered, I discovered that said pony knew how to run, run barrels. And the joke, you know, with my, my grandpa used to always be like, barrel racing was a great way to ruin a good horse. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> It was never like something that, you know, we pursued, like my mom and my uncle showed cutting horses. And um, I was the first barrel racer of the family. And so we discovered that Sage was her name. This little pony did barrels, and oh my gosh, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. Like, we looked back, and you know, I was the kid like at the county fair running barrels on this pony with like split reins. You know, like I probably should have been in a helmet. We didn't, we didn't know anything, um, <laughs> yeah. and you know, we just kept going, kept going, and and you know, bought better horses, better horses, learned, you know, went to clinics, did all the things, and sort of became barrel racers i guess if you will but i barrel raced uh i barrel raced i tied goats i ran poles all throughout high school uh qualified for the high school finals uh, in the goat tying and then i went on to college rodeo at oklahoma state and i ran barrels and tied goats and i roped as well Um, i started breakaway roping in college and you know uh bought my permit did some pro rodeos uh, roped at the wpra finals the the women's professional rodeo finals and, and and just did some you know events open rodeos things like that um I loved it you know I was never I was never the kid that you just knew was gonna win I was a little hit or miss I was I guess I always considered myself like looking back like you never really counted me out like I could maybe sneak in there every now and then I'd win around. like you just never knew what you were gonna get type of thing or um, and then you know, sometimes I would be taken out and need stitches when all was said and done. Like I was that kid, you know, everything was real fast, um, uh-huh. not necessarily in a good way. Uh, but um, yeah, so you know, rodeoed and and just was heavily involved in that for a long time. And and uh, like I said, I started I learned to rope in college. Actually, a cutting horse uh trainer taught me to rope and I just fell in love with it and picked it up really quickly and it was just something that it was different, you know, than what I had done my whole life. And, and um, I just really loved the roping. And I always think if I ever went back and did, you know, a rodeo event or something, I would probably, I'd probably break away rope again. And uh, my little sister had a really nice cutting horse. I didn't, I didn't have a cutting horse. I didn't, I didn't learn to cut or anything, but my sister had a really nice little cutter. And so then my mom kind of got back into it. And then well, I didn't, left out so like I would go to I went to a few shows and lope some horses and um I showed a couple times (laughs) and it wasn't great but you know um it I just I've always loved to ride and it's it's come pretty it came pretty natural naturally to me and and um I was really blessed in college because I lived near um a great cutting horse trainer and on the property of his son who also showed good cutting horses. And I was really, um, blessed because they really taught me horsemanship and they really taught me how to ride a horse. And, um, so yeah, that's kind of, that was my rodeo experience. Um, I, you know, I still, I still love it. I still like to go to a rodeo from time to time. It's not something that I, you know, seek out necessarily. I have good friends here in Dallas who, and they're so, you know, they're, they're so sweet. They're like, Oh my gosh, well, you want to go to a rodeo with us? We're going, I'm like, not really. (laughs) I've been to, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, I spent the first 30 years of my life at a rodeo. So I don't necessarily need to go uh, watch any other rodeos, but I would go to Reno. I've never been to Reno. So, um, you know, those kind of, those, those big, like pro rodeos obviously are fun, but that's kind of, that's kind of the story on my rodeo career.
1: That is, super cool I love hearing about people's like rodeo stories because again I don't have a ton of like experience about it I photographed one um I photographed a couple of smaller ones but um I think they're so cool they're so cool and the athleticism from you know humans and animals alike is incredible always
0: (laughs) yeah no it's it's super neat and I you know I've always loved it rodeo will always be near and dear to my heart and I actually last year it last year, and she seems like ten years ago. I um, started working. I did a little bit of work with the PBR, the Professional Bull Riders, and um, so that was really fun to really see, you know, get an intimate look at the elite level of of you know the PBR. And so, yeah, it's you know, I just I love cowboys and cowgirls, and so anything anything that they're involved in, I want to be involved in. Are you gonna
1: come out of retirement twenty twenty one?
0: No, probably not. <laughs> you know, I I literally, I went to the gym today. I hadn't been to the gym in, like, a couple of weeks because I had my vent and did whatever. And I went to just, like, this, like, weightlifting class. I'm literally laying in bed in the fetal position. I'm like, wow, I'm so broken. I am so, you know, I just, I have such respect for, like, the rough stock guys and the bull riders. And um, because I am, you know, I had a lot of injuries. Nothing, like, super serious. But I just... I'm just crippled. As I I told my mom, I was like, I'm so crippled. Like I can't even go to the gym for one day. And like, you know, I had a horse fall on me and I've ruptured backs and sternums and cracked and busted knees and all the things. And yeah, when you turn 30, that all starts to catch up with you. <laughs> well, I'm worried. I'm 28 now. So well, get ready because everybody <laughs> told me it was going to go downhill at 30. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Well, they weren't lying.
1: got it so i'll do all of my dangerous reckless yes in the next yes
0: yes get all the danger out of the way now because you're gonna pay for it later anyway
1: (laughs) have you ever been to um a rodeo where they do the ring of fire um is that
0: where they like turn the bulls out and you have to like sit in it is that what is that that yeah that that is i've (laughs) i've seen it on like tiktok i don't know i'm sure i've been to one um I would probably not sign up for that ever for any amount of money.
1: My fiance was going to do it and you get members of the audience, like um, basically bid on you. So you're like basically sold. And that's how they raise um, money. It's like 50, 50. The person who wins gets half of it. And then the rodeo association or whatever gets the other half. Mm -hmm. And my fiance, um, he was real bummed. He was in a car accident, um, like maybe five weeks before this rodeo that we were going to we were going just to spectate and he wanted to sign up we the whole reason we went is so he could sign up but he was in a car accident and he was literally in a boot and on crutches he was like can i still do it and they were like mm-hmm. sports medicine was like yeah that's a no yeah <laughs> uh yeah so i was like oh that's a bummer next time and then he. oh moved. no he doesn't he doesn't want to do that <laughs> I don't know he
0: jumped out of a plane a couple weeks ago so well I mean that usually ends well I mean if that doesn't end well like it just ends but I feel like the the ring of fire you just get really named. like it doesn't I don't know yikes I don't know men are different though men are wired different it's like bull riding I love bull riding and I loved being involved and but I I was you know sidelined so I would be right at the walkout gate like when the guys would walk out and sometimes they would come out and I would just like watch them just you know dragging a leg blood and I would just think huh I just really respect and admire what you think it's amazing but why in the hell (laughs) would you want uh, would you want to do this it's just you know I don't know I've decided it's a guy thing I'm like men must just be
1: wired different I don't know I yeah I think you're right speaking of um bull riding can we talk about top dollar
0: Mm. yeah so we
1: I'm always happy to talk about Top Dollar. Um, Okay. uh, (laughs) Can you explain who
2: he is?
0: (laughs) Yes. So uh, I'll back up a little bit. So like I said, I I worked, did some work with the PBR. Um, Really cool. I mean, just like the dream gig, right? You know, first event, Madison Square Garden. then we went to Chicago, you know, just flying all over the country, going to these various PBR events. And that lasted three months. And then the pandemic (laughs) happened. That was the end of that. Yeah. And I was just like really bummed. I mean, I really, really was bummed. I'm still bummed like, but I was just kind of heartbroken because it was such a cool gig and I was really, finally getting into, you know, knowing the guys and, and was learning a lot. And anyway, pandemic ended that. And uh, in July, I was actually at the national high school finals and I was working for the PBR for ride pass. Um, they had hired me to go and uh, call the time to vent arena. So I was color commentating in the time to arena and, I remember I got a, a DM on Instagram from like, it was in my request box like I didn't even know this girl from this girl. And she was like, Hey, I don't know what the message said. Like, I don't, but like now that I know Katie really well, I can just like only imagine. <laughs> and she, like the message was like, Hey, do you want to own a bucking bull? And I was like, what, what? Like, no, I don't know. I don't <laughs> even know you, you know? And I just remember the first thing I thought was, wow, what, what is this going to cost me? You know, like I, I just didn't have any idea. I had no idea what it, it entailed, what owning a bucking bull would even look like. I was like, am I going to keep him like at the dog park in my apartment? Like this is, I don't even know. <laughs> and then I finally was like, maybe she sent this to the wrong person. I, I, I don't know. And so um I think I might've waited like a day or something, but eventually I messaged her back and I was like, Hey. Tell me more like <laughs> and um I, we laugh about it now because I'm like, yeah, I remember when you just like slid into my DMs and asked me if I wanted to own a bucking bull. And, um, you know, so I actually pursued it a little more and I went out and I met Walker and Laramie Wilson, who are top dollars handlers is what they're called in the bull business. Um, so they handle top dollar, meaning they haul in, they care for him, they train him. They're, I don't like the word handler. I call them his mom and dad. I introduce Katie as this is top dollar's mom, this is top dollar's dad layer <laughs> me, which I'm sure they think, you know, probably laugh behind my back um, while they laugh to my face. Let's be honest. Can we, but,
1: can we pause really quick? Yes. How, do
0: they, how do you train a bucking bull? Oh, that's a very good question. So w- actually, we get that question a lot because part of top dollar part of the like ownership was they really we really wanted to share the story because we really wanted to show people that hey anybody can be involved in the bull business so the number one question that we always get is how do you make him buck well the answer is you don't make him buck you don't make any fucking bull buck so bulls are the american bucking bull is its own breed so it's its own red breed it's one of the fastest growing uh, breeds of cattle, actually, which I did not know until I got involved in this. It's one of the fastest growing breeds in the United States. And the short answer to this question is they're bred to do this. It is bred into them. Um, they either have it or they don't. You know, I'm trying to think how to explain it. You know, when you look at someone like LeBron, LeBron James, right? Sure, you can teach Courtney Dehoff how to play basketball. But, like, she will never be LeBron James just because, you know, it's just not in my genetic to be that level of a basketball player. And the Bucking Bulls are are pretty similar. You know, there are some bulls that just don't have it. that just are not genetically built to what Top Dollar does at the level that he does it. Um, So, you know, it's a lot of breeding uh, goes into it you know, we always get the question, well, what are you tying around his belly? Are you tying that around his, um, are you tying that around his testicles? Well, I like, I've started joking and saying like, nah, if y'all knew what his balls were worth, you would know that we're never (laughs) going to get anywhere near them with anything that could ever injure him. You know, we put a, it's called a flank rope and it's just, it's really just like a soft, cotton piece of rope and Laramie explained it better than I think I've ever heard anyone um, explain it. And he said, Courtney, think of it like a belt. A belt holds your pants up. A belt isn't so tight that it like pinches or cuts into you, right? Because then it's not comfortable. And that's what he explained it. Like the flank just goes around. It's about as tight as you would put a belt on, you know, yourself. And it really just acts as a foreign object for the bulls to kick at. They're going to buck regardless But you sort of put that flank on them and they know, okay, it's time. It's time to perform. The minute the flank falls off, then they're like, all right, we're done. Top dollar bucks for four seconds. So he, because he's a young bull in the PBR, they go eight. Um, But because top dollar is only two, he bucks for seconds. There is, um, he has a flank and then he has a little mechanical dummy, which I is basically just like a little saddle that like sits up on his. Back and it acts as nothing more than a weight. It weighs 15 pounds. So he has a 15 pound little weight that they call the dummy, and then um, his flank. And after four seconds, whoever is on the back of the chute at an event, a lot of times it's Laramie, uh, will hit a button. He has like a little remote, looks like a car remote, and it releases everything and falls off. And then Top Dollar goes back to his pen and eats snacks.
1: So does he have, um, I, I know nothing about like the life cycle of bulls. So and uh, mm-hmm. what age should they start getting writers on them?
0: Yes. No, this is a great question. So I got Todd Dollar as a yearling. So he was one. He bucked in the juvenile division of the ABBI, which is the American Bucking Bull Incorporated, which is a sister like organization to the PBR. Um, so they're sort of one and the same. So he'll buck his two-year-old year, which is this year, uh, with a dummy exclusively next year, starting his three-year-old year. We will start putting riders on him. Um, he will buck exclusively like his four year old year with a rider. I'm not sure, um, you know, for top dollar next year, like we may give him a little bit of a break and just like let him go out and eat and breed cows and gallivant around, you know. What- on him at the house and stuff I say will like I'm actually making any of these decisions <laughs> Mary and Katie are in charge but this is what I've sort of like sort of what we've discussed and so um his four-year-old year is what they call his classic year and that is a that's really an exciting year because he'll buck with Riders, not just any riders, you know, he has the opportunity to buck with some of the best bull riders, uh, potentially in the world, just depending on where we take him and, and what sort of events. Um, but like, you know, they'll buck some of those four year old classic bulls at the PBR World Finals. So in my mind, that my dream for top dollars to like get him to his classic year, his four year old year, hopefully he'll be just as good with a rider, but you just you just never
1: know. I have, so, okay, you answered my question, but I have so many more questions. Ask away. Okay. Um, so how long do bulls typically stay, like, in the, the bucking lifestyle, I guess, or working as bucking bulls?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so the PBR, uh, the professional bull riders, they have, um, you have your cowboy standings, and you also have bull standings. So. In bull riding, a bull gets a, the bull gets half the score, the rider gets half the score, right? So the bulls are very important, um, you know, to bull riding. Like it's not just it's not just about about the riders, I guess. Um, it it really depends, you know. I'm actually I'm trying to look up. I'm not sure how old. So let's see. I'm looking up like Chiseled, for example, and he's not very old. I'm on the PBR website. I'm like doing research in real time. So I'm smooth (laughs) operator. There's a bull named smooth operator who has been, um, you know, been a world champion bucking bull smooth operator. I want to say, and if there's like any PBR aficionados listening to this, they're probably gonna be like, that's not right. I want to say smooth operator was like seven or eight. Um, So they can, they can, you know, go buck up into a certain age. Now, are they going to be like smooth operator and continue bucking at the level that he's bucking at that age? No, not necessarily. Because, you know, they're, they're like athletes, you know, just like any athlete, um, they get worn out and tired. And sometimes you just want to let them go be a bull. Um, Not everybody's Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Smooth operator is kind of like the Tom Brady of (laughs) bull riding. Like he, like he just keeps going and he just keeps being really good and um so yeah
1: I gotcha um what are kind of your responsibilities as the owner
0: well I tell everyone that I'm just the stage mom (laughs) (laughs) I'm just top dollar stage mom I just like take videos and photos and um no like I joke about that but really that's what I do but when part of the reason that I decided to go ahead and partner with Katie and Laramie is because Katie and Laramie have a really great vision for growing the sport. When they came to me, they said, "We really want to partner with you, but we want to partner with you because we want to a get more women involved. B, we want to show women and men." that anyone can be involved in the bull industry. You know, it's really cool. You go to these ABBI events. You've got professional baseball players that own bulls. You've got television uh, personnel, you know, household name, television personalities that are part owners of bulls. Um, you've got athletes, NASCAR drivers, television hosts, you know, um, farmers, ranchers, and and then people who have just who have been in the bull business. I mean, anybody can get involved in the bull industry, which is really cool. And that's kind of why I was so excited to partner with Kitty and Laramie. And, you know, having worked with the PBR, I got to really see the behind the scenes of what goes on with these bulls and the level of care um, that they receive. You know, there's a lot of misinformation out there about bull riding and, oh, they, you know, they hurt the bulls. That's why they buck. And, they're mean to them and they spur them until they bleed. None of that is accurate. And I got to see it firsthand, right? Um, you know, I knew that going in, but it wasn't until I was really down there with those guys talking to those famous stock contractors and, and seeing, you know, the, the shockwave therapy, the massages, they swim them. Um, you know, they, there's all kinds of, of different things that they do. Acupuncture to, to keep these bulls, performing at the the level that they're performing. And I use the example again, LeBron, like LeBron doesn't just like, go to bed, wake up and run out onto a basketball court, right? He's in full training all day, you know, keeping everything functioning. And and Bulls are the same way, you know, they're they're high level athletes, just like the Cowboys. And so it's just been really cool to, to be involved on that side of it. But yeah, I I go to events. Um, I'm sort of the storyteller. I'm sort of t- I'm sort of top dollar. I'm a stage mom. Let's be honest. That's really the best way um, to describe it. But you no, know, it's been really cool. And one of the cool things about partnering with Katie and Laramie, like I get to go out to the house. Um, I, I got to enter my first event, um, not with top dollar, but with a, another really great bull named Nigel. And I got to flank him all by myself. It was a women's only event. So it was just me and Katie on the back of the bucking shoots. I got to flank him do everything. We loaded him, you know, and, and that was really cool, um, to, to be part of that women's only event. So, um, I enter, I do all the things.
1: Um, okay. Is there female bull riders out there?
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So I posted something on my Instagram one time because somebody asked this and I was like, no, like it's only men, only men ride bulls at the elite level. Well, and then I got 5,000 messages later. Yes. There are women who ride bulls. (gasps) There are little junior they're little junior bull riders. Um, there's actually a, a little junior bull rider that I interviewed multiple times when I was with the PBR. Named uh, her name is Nasia Knight. She's really this like cute little um, brunette cowgirl, but she's been in Vogue magazine. Like she's been featured all over and all these cool publications for riding bulls. She actually rode mini um, bulls at Madison Square Garden. So yes, there are women who ride bulls. Now I tell people at the in the professional bull riders association at the you know there no it's all men
1: right and i know um because i've seen i've seen some women ride bronx i think um yes oh i might have been in might have been in red bluff might have been in salinas somewhere on the west coast um uh, there was some women on bronx but that was a whole
2: i don't know it felt like a
1: different experience than watching men on bronx. Mm-hmm. men for sure Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.